Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to a bonus midweek episode of the Arsecast. As promised on the Arsecast Extra yesterday, I'm going to talk to James, not about football, not about Arsenal, but about his brand new book, which is in the shops now, available as a hardback and an audio book as well. It is called The Champ and the Chump. I could start to describe it for you, but I think it's fair to say it covers in detail two very distinct lives, James and his grandfather who was for a time the middleweight champion of the world and James of course you know is an actor a writer a podcaster a very different life from that of his grandfather but there is a story behind this there's a story about the book how it came to be and and what it's filled with so rather than me prattling on let's talk to James about it right now hello James hello mate how you doing I am very well thank you you'll be glad to hear we're not going to talk much Arsenal or any Arsenal because there's no Arsenal <laughs> has happened since last we uh, spent a good hour and a half talking about it so there's no need no madison news no hour <laughs> news before all the tweets inevitably asking us yeah just say something that all the accounts can uh, then do a tweet about james mcnicholas if, says <laughs> blah, if the blah. aggregator uh, accounts would like to start tweeting out just nice things about my book then that would, i'd be okay with that actually. Yeah. that'd be all right yeah fairly good coverage i have to say um look the book uh, yes first off congratulations thank you um because it's really good and oh thanks man i really enjoyed it and uh yeah i found it very funny and interesting and touching and moving and i'm not it's not that i wasn't expecting it to be good you know what i mean but I was mm. really... Yeah, hang on. What are you saying? No, no, no. I'm not, I, was, I wasn't going to do like a sympathy podcast or anything like that. But <laughs> it was just like I didn't quite know how it was going to go, how it was going to come together, how it was going to be put out on the page. Because let's sort of go back on this a bit and, and how it came about. Because this is a an offshoot, if you will, from the stage show that you wrote and appeared in uh, called The Boxer. That's right. right. Yeah, which I did, yeah. which feels a very long time ago now, 2019, yeah. um, pre-pandemic, and which I was performing in London, mm. Soho Theatre, basically when everything got shut down, when the pandemic struck. I think I cancelled a load of shows because yeah. uh, the world was rapidly realising how much danger we were all in. Um, so, yeah, it was based on that, but it's been an interesting process because the show was an hour long and um to give you some indication of how different a beast the book is the audio book i think is coming up for about 10 hours 
And I remember the day I sort of printed out, there was mm. a sort of script for my show that I printed out and I sort of looked at it and it was about 13 pages. And I was like, ah, that's not really going to make a very sufficient hardback book. <laughs> um, so it's unusual, you know, normally in the adaptation of something, I think you're often sort of distilling the mm. essence of something, but this was kind of the opposite where I had to flesh things out much more. Right. So, I mean, tell me a bit more about the, the show, because I know a lot of listeners have been to see it and a lot of listeners yeah. had wanted to go and see it and, and uh, it didn't happen uh, for mm -hmm. the reasons that you've already explained. So, you know, what is what is the show in in essence? You obviously don't have to perform it yeah. in, in its entirety for me right here. But, you know, what what is what is the show in, in terms of the the way the story is told, for example? Yeah, so the show, um, so for anyone who doesn't know, the show is about kind of my grandfather's life story. I know I've talked about him on here before. Mm. He's a, a boxer, but he was, uh, his story is a kind of slightly crazy um, fairy tale Hollywood story, you know, mm. this guy who goes from rags to riches, grows up in London, in Paddington, in quite a poor area at the time ends up emigrating to America because his sister gets involved in the circus and gets injured. He goes out to be with her, winds up in the US Marines, mm. boxes for the Marines, almost ends up boxing for the US Olympic team, but then they realise he's British, gets kicked out, becomes a professional boxer and wins the world title. Um, that is his story in a <laughs> nutshell. After that, you know, he, there's other aspects where he was kind of a celebrity and he did a bit of acting and things like that. But that's, mm. in the show at least, that was, it kind of culminated really with his boxing career. And the way it was told was, um, I, I basically flitted between his story and mine. So I would do stand-up basically about myself and about my life, mm. and about my feelings of inadequacy and underachievement and kind of the weight of legacy that I felt hanging over me. And then in between that, it was, there were kind of um, bits where I would basically play Terry and sort of do his life story. So right. I, I was literally flitting between being myself and being my grandfather, which was a very um, surreal experience. I mean, I, you know, it was a very heightened version of him because it was a comedy show and, you know, we had to kind yeah. of pull out the laughs where, where possible. But, um, yeah, so, so that was the way the show was and it was kind of flitting between two voices and drawing parallels between our lives and clearly sort of showing the, the exaggerated differences. Um, the book, of course, is in one voice. It's in my voice and so it's it's quite a different thing really and mm. it, you know it, it's a very it's quite a big adaptation it wasn't in any real way um a direct port although the sort of biographical facts remain the same the, the manner of the story is very different yeah i mean how did you find the the process of writing this i want to come back to your feelings of inadequacy at some point as well by the way uh, but uh, i mean what what did you how did you how did you find it? Did you like it? Was it a chore? Was it difficult? Because obviously you've written, you, yeah. you, you've written comedy and you've written stand-up mm. and, and what have you. Um, did you find it difficult to be funny in book form? 
when mm. you're writing in a you know in a, in a very distinct way. And obviously, you, you know, you did Gunner Blog for ten years, and it was it was its own thing. And you've written your comedy, and you were part of a sketch troupe, and and mm. all of that kind of stuff. But there, are, you know, writing isn't just one thing. There are very distinct ways of of writing and and how you put stuff down on a page. So how was that part of it? Yeah, well, actually, in some ways, I sort of had a slightly different problem, which is that if you're writing, let's say, a stand-up show or a comedy show, you feel a real pressure by virtue of an audience being there and paying for it to have laughs with real regularity, mm. you know. And in my writing, when I'm doing live stuff, I'm really thinking in terms of jokes and gags, and it needs to be, you know, bam, 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 like that. And yeah. Actually, one of the conversations I had with, I worked with an editor called Richard Roper who, um, on the book, and he, he's an Arsenal fan, actually, and an Arscast listener as well, I believe. Hurrah. And he, yeah, good guy. And he basically had to sort of tell me to sort of stop doing that slightly, that actually in book form, I was kind of overloading it with gags, and it was actually a little bit, um, what's the word? It kind of prevented the flow of the prose. Sure. Uh, and that was a sort of habit I had to break. I had to kind of learn to not feel that pressure to be funny in every line or sometimes in every paragraph or every page. And uh, that was a, a challenge. In terms of sort of the actual writing of a book, I mean, you've written books, so mm. you know probably more about this than me. But it, it was, I mean, they are long, aren't they? Yeah. They're really long. Yeah, they're really fucking long. And, you know, the, the deadline is a great... Um it focuses you as you get towards the the point where you, you you have to get there. So I mean, there are um, you know ways of doing it. You know, living with somebody who is a a writer, word count every day is you know an important part of of the way it can work. You know, if you're disciplined, you can sit down and you can write a thousand words a day. It sounds like maybe a lot to people, but it's not really. Like every day's arse blog is about a thousand words, and I do that mm -hmm. seven days a week. So mm -hmm. if you sort of extrapolate that out, you could write a book in X amount of time, but it doesn't quite work like that, you know, when it comes to a book, because there's, you know, what way does uh, this bit go with that bit? How do I move from this thing to that thing? You know, there's a lot mm -hmm. more structure involved when you're putting a, a book together. So w was that something you tried to do, or was it just, okay, today I'm going to do a load, maybe not so much the next day. I'll leave it for a couple yeah. of days. How, how did how'd you go well, on that? There was probably about a year between the book being commissioned and me having to deliver the book. Mm. And I'll be honest, the first six months of that, <laughs> I think I didn't do very much at all. I mean, there was a lot of percolating. Do you know what I mean? There was a yeah. lot of uh, ruminating, you know, stroking my chin, thinking, mm, yeah, that would be a good bit for the book. Yeah. Once we got into the final six months, it was like, ah, at some point I am going to need a book here. And it did kind of become a thing where uh, I was looking at word counts and almost at one stage it was kind of like a chapter a week you know it was mm. like I was really just uh, to get the first draft in particular done it was really just a case of like forcing myself to put the time in and I, I didn't take a great deal of time off to do it I mean um, you know I was doing other work and doing football stuff and writing for the athletic through all this whole time I mm. think I took about two weeks off specifically for the book so it was a um, I think it was a challenge for Camille I think at home I was spending a lot of time locked in a room hammering a keyboard trying to make some trying to make a book come out of magic um, <laughs> but I did enjoy it I think if I think if I would do it again I would 
I mean, every writer must say this, but I would try to make better use of the whole time <laughs> rather than just rushing before the deadline. But yeah. it feels like that's just human nature to an extent. Yeah. How much of the the stylistic elements of the book were, were down to the editor? Because I'm a big fan of Flan O'Brien. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, but mm-hmm. certainly the uh, the footnotes that that uh, are, are through the book, you know, where you have mm. the little asterisk and you yeah. go down below and you read that. That's something that was, you know, a big thing in, you know, one of his most famous books, The Third Policeman. Was that your idea? Was that the editor's idea? Was that a way of, let's say, tempering your desire to put a joke on every yeah. paragraph? That was, that was a way of sort of um, corralling that aspect of your writing? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, it was something I was doing anyway. But, you know, I think Richard kind of felt, look, if you do really want to do that joke, uh, you know, then if you have it as a footnote, it's kind of an optional extra for people. You know, Mm. you're not going to interrupt the flow too dramatically. And a lot of writers I like have used that really well. I mean, Stuart Lee is a great stand-up, wrote a brilliant book called How I Escaped My Uncertain Fate, which was kind of like... Mm. Uh, it was a lot of his routines, but then dissected with footnotes. And the footnotes were kind of the most compelling part of the book. Um, I'm not sure that's quite true in my case, but I think it was a way of kind of tempering that instinct. So that I enjoyed, to be honest, the process of having an editor and getting feedback. And it wasn't just Richard, you know, I had family members who read it or mm. Camille read it and some friends read it as well. So, you know, I, I, um, I did have people kind of steering me here and there. And, and the book went through a, a couple of sort of quite big structural changes, as, as I, I suspect many books do. But um, I enjoyed that process. And I, I would love to write another book, just not um, right away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you know what I mean by yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. You know, they're fairly intensive projects. Um, uh, and particularly, you know, if you're dedicated to one thing and that one thing is writing a book, then, yeah. you know, I think you can probably go from one thing to the next thing. But if you're coupling that with, you know, other other uh, activities, um, Trying to comedy, find out what James Madison's acting, up to. Exactly. Yeah, you know, all this stuff. What's James Madison got in his Where's backpack? Where's Lucas Torreira? Yeah, you all know. of those things. Yeah. <laughs> all these questions. <laughs> um, let me come back to what you said before and, and the feelings of inadequacy and those being like, yeah. I think as a maybe... Uh, were you a bit tongue-in-cheek there, sort of like a comic prop? I mean, your your lives are very distinct, you and your grandfather. Yeah. Um, you know, was it a case that you, in terms of how you viewed your own work, you sort of held him up as an example, or was it in relation to where you were in your own fields, like yeah, uh, with yeah. comedy or, or what have you? I mean, I mean, this guy... You know, I'm not going to give any real spoilers away in this, but as you say, a man who was, I mean, the, the middleweight world champion, the, the world yeah. champion. I mean, I know people understand what those words mean, but like, it's the fucking at, champion at a time of the when world. there was only one, you know, yeah. as well pre all the different belts. So the champion of the world, like you know, this is yeah. this is a, he is a presence. This man, you know, for for uh, throughout the book. So I mean, I, I I guess he is somebody who had a big impact on your life. You spend a lot of time with him, but you know, is that presence something that that was with you always, or were these things that you talked about earlier? Was that just sort of Okay, this is this is my life, my career, and this is where I want to be. Look at what he's achieved. How was that? It's definitely a legacy to inherit, and I think you know a line I use in the book is about not being sure if I'm 
standing in the show standing on the shoulders of a giant or being perpetually in one's shadow and that definitely was a sense in which that rang true with me i mean having someone like that in your family is a tremendous gift because it really does sort of fill you with the belief that anything is possible and i don't think it's coincidence that you know i've really pursued my goals and my passions in my own professional life in my life generally because you know you see look what can happen when you do but i do think on the other side of that coin i always had that sense of you've got to be the best you know Mm. and and i remember even when i started out acting I was like, well, obviously, I'm, I'm never going to be a world champion. But I was like, if I can just win an Oscar. I know it sounds absurd, but I was like, <laughs> I, I, I always had my eyes on a prize. Sure. Which is a completely absurd way to think about what are fundamentally creative artistic pursuits. But I, I put that pressure on myself and I wanted to adhere to that kind of lineage. And I wanted to be a champion in my own field. And um, I, I think that sort of, distinction that i feel between our lives partly comes from that slight sense of like you know how do i live up to that how do i achieve that but also it comes from just a generational thing of you know terry being a very hard man from quite a hard generation Mm. who lived through global conflict who lived through very trying circumstances um whereas i've lived a life of you know considerable relative privilege and a lot of that is down to him, really, in the way in which he kind of changed my family's destiny. But I think I feel, I think I feel a slight guilt about that. You know, this thing of like, well, I have I ever done a hard day's work in my life? Kind of thing. This guy got beat up for a living. Yeah. I, I think everyone's probably feels like their dad or their grandparents are probably kind of tougher than them and lived through mm. tougher things. And uh, in my case, it's just a really extreme example because he was one of the toughest guys in the world i I thought that was a really interesting aspect of it like you know i think most parents want to give their children a life that you know hopefully is better than the one they had and you know i think when you're talking about those generations or that generation certainly you know who who grew up uh, at that time when things were much more difficult you know the, to strive to make sure that your children and your grandchildren are better off or are more comfortable, et cetera, et cetera, is, I think, a fairly um, basic instinct, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was quite interesting that in some ways you talked about your education and the school that you went to mm. and and sort of had a little bit of this, I don't know, is, is guilt the right word? It does yeah, come across. I, I, think, I think it is guilt. Like, I think... You know, I have this sort of paradox of feeling like my family and many branches of my family, and particularly my grandparents, are these very traditional working class people. Yeah. And I had a a quintessentially middle class experience. You know, I was privately educated in a very uh, good school in sort of leafy Hertfordshire. Mm. It's a million miles away from the experience that that many people in my family had and still to, some branches of the family still have. So it has always left me feeling like a bit of an anomaly, you know, a bit of a black sheep mm. in that respect. And I guess put a kind of distance there, you know, although I was very close with my family, I always felt a little bit distinct and a bit different. And there is guilt in that. Um, maybe there shouldn't be because it seems absurd to feel guilty for something that people really strove for and really worked hard for and, and that just you felt didn't like you didn't have a choice 
No, either no, you don't get to choose where you go to school. <laughs> no, no, most that's people true. anyway. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I guess it sort of sits slightly at odds with my personal values, maybe, and my personal ideas about uh, society. So mm. there, there is a kind of guilt in that for sure. And it's, you know, it's so weird. Like often I'll be talking to people and I'll say, oh, actually, you know, I went to a private school and some people will go, yeah, that's obvious. <laughs> some <laughs> other people will go, uh, oh, I wouldn't have thought that. And if they say that, I'm always kind of delighted because it feels like a relief, you know, like they think, I, I don't, I, I think people hear private school and they immediately think of sort of Boris Johnson and his cronies and mm. the idea of being lumped in with them is uh, a pretty scary one to me. I understand. But it, but yeah, it, I understand. It, yeah, I don't know if you know what I mean. But I do. I like, mean, yeah. I went to a private school as well. I went to like here the in Dublin, the, the private schools are big rugby schools and, and yeah, rugby yeah. is this sort of... Rugby was the sport yeah, of mine too. And like, I don't like rugby at all i i didn't like playing rugby uh i didn't particularly like uh i'm not going to say the rugby players or the rugby crowd but i think there's an element to it that just never connected that i never connected with i didn't like you know it's like i think you mentioned in the book you know the 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 private school guys they end up as doctors or lawyers or politicians mm. or whatever it is and there was always that mm. sense with some of the some of the ones here where they'd end up in banking or insurance Bankers, and yeah. all of that kind of stuff you know it's just like like you it, it doesn't really doesn't really resonate with me at all but you no know. no so so there was always that slight feeling of you know being very proud of of where i come from and, mm. and like i say that lineage but also feeling like a bit of a phony because my experience was so different and so much more, I guess, comfortable, you know. Um, so, so yeah, that was a, another big kind of drive between in, in wanting to write the book to sort of explore that and try and figure it out and come to terms with it. Yeah, I mean, there is there, yeah, there is a big difference between your hard hitting grandfather and you, who tends to get hard hitted by the world <laughs> by the world around you. Yeah. if you like, you know. I mean, and that's funny too, and that's you know. Well, some am, of it is, but I mean, some of it yeah. clearly isn't either. You know, being clattered yeah. over the head and losing your teeth is not that funny. I mean, for, for comedy purposes, I suppose, but in reality, you know, it is a it is a, a slightly it is a traumatic thing. I remember, like when I was it was during the World Cup in 1990. Right? right, so it was crazy over here. If you remember how well Ireland did in yeah, in the World Cup, and we were out one night in town, and one of my friends did something really stupid, in that we were going along after a match, drunk, probably midnight, something like that, and he kicked the what you what's the front light of a car. Headlight. The headlight, exactly. Headlamp. Headlamp. Just walked past, kicked in the headlight of this car, and I was like, oh, that was a bit fucking dumb. And we (laughs) walked on and walked around the corner, and unfortunately there were like two guys who were in the car who came out and fucking thumped the head off both of us. It's really traumatic when Mm. something like that happens to you because all of a sudden you're – 
your, I don't know, your world is kind of shaken around and this sort of sense of safety that I think you maybe take for granted is gone. And all of a sudden you're going, well, I'm, I'm in pain and who knows when this could happen to me again and from where, you know, it does mm. um, for all the, um, yeah, whatever way you want to look at it, it does have a fairly, fairly significant effect on you, at least for a little while. Definitely. I think, you know, almost, I mean, they're quite obvious sort of physical mm. scars. We all know about my smashed up teeth, but I think the psychological ones probably were more difficult to overcome. And uh, just that feeling of vulnerability that you, you know, you kind of think you're safe in your city. Yeah. And yeah. especially as a man, I think you don't feel threatened that often. Um, and you probably, you know, feel confident and comfortable in those situations, then suddenly that rug kind of gets pulled from underneath your feet. And I think, to be honest, it's quite a, a little bit, it's a little bit emasculating as an experience. Um, and that was kind of another element that I wanted to try and mm. get into really, you know, the idea of uh, what it is to, to be a man. There's such a difference, I guess, between the idea that my grandfather would have had of that and probably the idea that I'm experiencing now in this day and age. Um, yeah. And I mean, you're not a small guy and I'm not a necessarily no, a small guy, you know? No, no. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. It, it is. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm not a small guy, but it can happen to anybody. I suppose that's yeah, sort of the message of it. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, again, as well, there was an obvious kind of, uh, parallel or juxtaposition should I say rather between mm. someone who hit people for a living and someone who sort of can't help but be hit and have <laughs> rather foolish accidents I mean I've basically made a whole persona out of it on a podcast so <laughs> <laughs> I might as well write about it too. you might as well was it difficult and again I'm not going to go into any details but there are certain aspects of of how you write about um your family and family mm -hmm. members which are very open and very personal um and i guess in some ways it would have been easy to keep those things to yourself but i think yeah. to give a flavor not a flavor but a, a really deep insight into like your connection <clears throat> your connection with terry for various reasons at points in your life Mm -hmm. um, but even your own life, as as things have gone on, there are quite personal things in there, which, you know, I think most people, if they could choose, probably wouldn't make public. But in mm -hmm. the process of doing something like this, they make a lot of sense to put down on the page. But it's not just you that has to think about that and deal with that, I suppose. So was that was that a challenge in, in any way? Um to, to sort of broach it, yeah. those subjects? Definitely. I think when you're writing about your family in any way, when you're writing about real people, it's difficult. And, you know, mm. certain matters are private and people don't necessarily want those going in a book. And, you know, a, a part of the process of the book was kind of a, a legal conversation where lawyers trawl through it and say mm. you know this that, that you've said about this person is potentially defamatory or this is a private matter they could take issue with it and then you have to have sometimes quite awkward conversations with family members or people involved and say listen i would like to say this about you in a book um how do you feel about that mm. and that is tough you know when we're talking about you know conversations i'm having with my parents about 
some elements of my upbringing or with my grandparents about mm. elements of their personal lives. Those were difficult conversations, but ultimately I think quite helpful ones because in some respects we hadn't talked about some of these incidents or some of these things for many, many years. Yeah. And um, I think actually there is some sort of cathartic benefit to dealing with them in print. I I personally haven't felt too exposed by the process. I think because you write it, it's so much in isolation and then you never really see people engage with it. You know, they go and they read it or listen to it on in, on their own terms, in their own time. It's yeah. never like a face-to-face -face conversation. It's not even like I'm up on stage telling them. And, and a lot of this stuff wasn't in the stage show. Um, it, it feels relatively easy mm. to be honest about that. And I just hope, I mean, ultimately, yeah, everything's fine. Everyone's content with what I've written. It It is just one of those things where it's difficult to strike that balance between being as honest as possible, but not leaving yeah, people unfairly exposed. Exactly. You, know? and you don't want to hurt people or you don't want to bring up nope. things from a long time ago that might be painful for people. And even, yeah, I mean, I get it. I mean, look, I think what what's clear and everyone listening to this has a family. And I think if you think about your, your wider family, your extended family, there's, there's always something happening. There's always something going on. There's always a story. There's always a history, yeah, yeah. you know? So, you know, it's not like this is necessarily, I mean, obviously these circumstances are unique to you and your family, but you could sort of apply something similar to many families, I'm sure. Um, but you know, yeah, absolutely. I think that's right. And, um, I guess the point of including the very personal stuff is that the hope that it will resonate with people, you know, and make them reflect on their own situations and things that they've experienced. Yeah. Too. People are complicated. The older you get, the more you realize that, that people are complicated and they have yeah. aspects to their personalities and to their lives, which sometimes can be a little hard to reckon with, you know, but that is just yeah. the reality of being a human person, you know, we're not all one thing or, or, or anything else. Um, and actually like that's a sort of interesting part of the book really is that I don't know about you, but my relationship with my grandparents was always kind of somewhat idyllic in some ways because it's kind of easy, you know, mm. my grandma's told me before, it's kind of easy being a grandparent. You're sort of always there for the good times and then you, you can just give the child back. Hand it back at the end of the day, yeah. juiced up on Coca-Cola and, and Haribo, <laughs> running around, frothing at the mouth, back to the parents, yeah. I think it's easier than, than being a parent, certainly. And <laughs> and I, um, you know, I think my relationship with my parents was was less straightforward. But I think some of that is just down to proximity. And when you're exposed to people more you see them as more human mm. and more flawed and one of the really interesting things about the book for me was learning more about terry and about my grandparents and uncovering things that were difficult to reconcile or where mm. i was like you know this man who i think to an extent i've sort of hero worshipped clearly wasn't perfect and mm. clearly had his flaws and that's something that I was a, a, an interesting sort of challenge to me too, to kind of go, well, you've sort of put this guy on this pedestal, but the more you learn about his life, you realise that ultimately, like everybody, yeah. like me, like my parents, he's human. Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff in there, you know, that that, that is uncovered and comes to light, which is, you know, it, it is remarkable in some ways. And it, I'm sure it's testing 
and has been testing for you and, and for the family, but to give you a, a full picture of the man and what he was like and, and the way he lived his life, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's sort of, you can't, you can't just sort of brush it under the carpet. No, and I think, you know, without giving too much away, there mm. are a few skeletons in the cupboard, basically. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we go into those in the book and it's sort of... I'm really pleased, actually, because a long time ago, Terry wrote a book about his own life. Um, I think he wrote it first in the 60s. It was reprinted in the 80s. And it's a very... It's not a bad book, but it's a very watered-down version mm. of events. <laughs> and and I think, I mean, to be fair, you know, he's obviously dead now. He's passed away. So I think maybe that changes things a little. But I do think there's something to be said for sort of presenting a fuller picture because it's such a colourful life, yeah. for better and worse, that to do anything else uh, almost seems a shame. Can I just ask you very quickly to sort of explain to people, I know you've talked about this. Uh, I don't know if we did this on the main podcast. We certainly did it on one of the Patreon podcasts. But mm. the the issue that you suffered while on your honeymoon, can you, <laughs> yeah. can you just sort of very briefly explain yeah. to people what that was slash is? And then yeah. I want to just talk to you about that, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, because this is sort of a th narrative thread that runs through the book, really, is me yeah. having this experience and coming to terms with it. So Terry died in um, October 2017. And a few months later, it was January, I went on my honeymoon to Sri Lanka and in India. And um, I took a break from the podcast, as you re mm. may remember. But when I came back, I did talk about this experience that I'd had, which is yeah. that about a week into the honeymoon... I went on a whale-watching expedition off the south coast of Sri Lanka in Marissa. And I was at sea for about six hours in the Indian Ocean, very choppy waters, very rough. Um, and when I got off the boat, after a few minutes, I realised that I, having felt absolutely fine on the boat, not seasick at all, I was basically landsick that I mm. felt like the the ground was moving with the undulation of a boat in a storm and that's not in itself unusual a lot of people experience that temporarily what was unusual in my case is that it lasted and it lasted you know not just days not just weeks uh, but months and years and to this day, mm. uh, what are we, three and a half years on, it's something that's with me that I'm being treated for, that I have to sort of adapt my life around every single day. And it, it genuinely was the most supernatural, surreal experience in the in the litany of bizarre accidents that have befallen me. <laughs> there is nothing to compare no. to this. And I had never heard of anything like it. It's fairly rare. Uh, it is a medical condition. Um, it predominantly affects uh, menopausal women <laughs> and me, seemingly. Uh, <laughs> another emasculating <laughs> um, fact. And yeah, I spent certainly two years uh, feeling like I was literally lost at sea. Um, I'm, I'm a lot better now, but I'll probably, I'm kind of reconciled to the idea I'll never mm. be... Fully better. So it was definitely a life-changing 
Yeah. Do you mind if I read just a little passage from this? Because there were yeah. there were only two bits in the book that I did the. I've got to fold the page down and come back to this and talk to him about it when I'm uh, okay. when I'm doing this. So this is towards the end of the book. So I'm not giving away anything in particular. You said, the rocking went on, but my life as I knew it had stopped. The simplest things became difficult. A trip to the supermarket was such a claustrophobic sensory overload that it felt like undergoing a full body MRI or alternatively, like flying Ryanair. There's one of your gags that you couldn't, uh, you had to get in. I grew insular and isolated. There will be people reading this book who feel they know me quite well who will be surprised by all this. Chronic illness is a pernicious thing because it's often relatively easily disguised. If you look fine, people assume you're fine. And most of the time, you won't want to dissuade others of that opinion. Very few people actively seek pity. Yeah. And I read that and I knew this had happened to you yeah. and we spoke about it. And you know, what, what struck me, James was that in all the years that we have been doing this podcast, yeah, week after week, when the season's on, when the season is not on, not once, not once did you ever ask, like, I, I can't do it today. I don't feel like doing it. I never got the sense from you that you weren't well. And I know yeah. some of that is like you're behind the mic and you can kind of put your troubles behind you. You can just sort of waffle on about Arsenal. I, I know that mm, that's mm. sort of part of it. But I, f- I don't know quite how I felt about it. I felt, I felt guilty. I felt well, guilty. you shouldn't feel guilty. No, I know. I know. I know I shouldn't. But I... I did, and there's sort of an assumption on on maybe my part that because, like, you're okay to do this podcast every week, that um, – is that your dog snoring in the background yeah, again? So she's brilliant. But, you know, the, 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 the sense that, okay, well, if he's okay to do that, he must be okay in general. I feel bad that I didn't ask more or, or, or check, what could I do, check up on you. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. I think it's yeah. – I think it's quite amazing. I'm just I'm I'm trying to say that I think it's amazing that despite um everything you've gone through with this illness and and you go into huge detail in it in the book and and the the impact it has had on your life which has been profoundly negative and difficult for obvious reasons that that there's never been a sense that when you were doing this show it was affecting you in that way. Yeah. Well, Someone's got to do those magpie facts at the end of the day. <laughs> but no, I mean, it, I mean, it's a, a, it's an interesting one. I mean, genuinely, I as we're talking about this, I remember days where I was doing the podcast. I was sat at a desk. I mm. had to not look at my laptop screen because even looking at it would kind of make me have an instant headache. I was literally felt like I was swaying side to side. I would just have my eyes shut and just do it because I, I felt like I didn't have. You know, if if I had just stopped doing everything, mm. I really would have been worse. You know, I yeah, would have yeah. felt more depressed than I did, and it was it was extremely difficult. And I probably had to compensate a lot. You know, I've really changed the way I live my life, and there are things I just can't do in the same way that I used to. Mm. And actually, writing a book was quite hard because like screens are really bad for me now and stuff like that. But it. it I did it anyway, and that was um, 
sort of, I guess, you know, my little victory is that I was yeah. able to carry on. And yeah, it, it, it was a very, very, very dark time. I can't lie about that. It had real implications in my personal life. I had, I was newly married and yet I completely felt like I just wasn't the person I was before. Mm. I felt like I had cheated my wife in some respects by saying I do and then turning into this uh, slightly broken person physically mm. and mentally. And it, it was really tough. And again, I think it's part, you know, it, it's what informs the book almost as much as anything else, you know, is is me dealing with that and looking at, you know, I remember thinking Terry, he was a world champion at 25. I think he retired at 28. And I think I was 31 and felt like not only had I not achieved very much, but that it was impossible that mm. I would in future. It just felt like yeah. a, a complete dead end. Well, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, but I think I'm probably um, reasonably speaking on behalf of the listeners as well when I say that, that it really did not come across during mm. the show and, um, you know. Well, that's good, I think. No, I mean, yeah. you know, I'm doing a, a job of sorts. And, and also, I mean, I guess, you know, if you are, yeah, if anyone ever, occasionally, do you know what? I remember when I did the show and I talked about, oh, I've got this thing, I went mm. on a boat. And I did have messages from listeners who said, sounds crazy, but the same thing happened to me and who had suffered in different ways or were continuing to suffer. And that was an incredible comfort to me, actually. Mm. And, I, and I'm very grateful that I sort of had access to that online network, that online community. And, and I think things like that can keep you going in unsurprising, in, in surprising ways, yeah. rather. You know, you kind of, I, I felt like I wanted to be here for people and I know people love the podcast and I wouldn't I would have hated for that to stop so we carried on and fortunately I'm in a much sort of better more um stable uh, in every sense place now yeah well that's great and I'm really happy for that and just thank you for um for being you when you weren't you <laughs> yeah. Well, I enjoyed it. I mean, that's the thing. I, mm. You know, it's a, it's a pleasure for me to, to do it. And I, yeah, as I write in the book, as you, as you quoted just there, you know, people don't tend, most people don't want sympathy, yeah. you know? So most people don't want people to know if they're suffering. Yeah. And that was my struggle as well. I have to be honest, like, you know, I had these physical symptoms, but I also had real psychological ones too. And I've always been someone who, for whom that was never an issue. You yeah, know? yeah. And yeah. who I always was like... Was there a reluctance to maybe admit that you needed to get some help? Definitely. Definitely. Like a definite reluctance. And, you know, my I think ultimately, in the end, my wife kind of gave me an ultimatum. And I, I think I needed it because... Mm it really did change things around for me. And, you know, it, it, it just helped me kind of reframe events and my life in a different way. I went to therapy for a long time and it proved really valuable. And mm. I would never, I was the last person, honestly, who thought that would be necessary or be useful or that I would enjoy it or get any satisfaction from it. Mm. And I really did on all those counts. So completely separate to the book, 
you know, if it's something you think might benefit you, I would say, give it a try because I was very skeptical and it really did help me. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, I, w- I would, that would be my advice. If it's something you're considering, but you're a bit uncertain, I would say, take the plunge. What is the worst that can happen? The other bit that I earmarked, bookmarked, mm. was on page 79. And you say, yes. on the subject of my geekdom, I co-host a podcast about my beloved Arsenal, the ludicrously titled Arscast Extra. <laughs> yeah. Are we just immune to the idea that a podcast called Arscast Extra is ludicrously named? I think we are, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean... <laughs> It's always this conversation, like people. Are like, oh yeah, I actually um, I do a podcast, and they're like, "What's it called?" And, and I always say, "Like Ask Cast Extra." And I could see in people's eyes, they're like, "Okay, okay." Uh, but I like that we're in yeah, yeah. to it. You know, we've made it a brand. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have. Well, look, it wouldn't be half of uh, what it is without you. Um, so thank you again. Uh, the book. Genuinely, I'm not just saying this because you are who you are and we have this relationship. It's it's really excellent um, for all the reasons that we've talked about. The the humor is there, but the the honesty and the openness with which you write about not just your family and Terry, but yourself, I think is is uh, it gives it a kind of authenticity that that will really resonate with everyone listening to this if they want to go out and get it. And I'm sure. I'm sure that they do. Um, yeah, I hope so. I mean, you know, yeah, if you want to know more about me, then this is a pretty good way. I mean, I don't mm. hold a lot back. And and it's tricky, you know, I have to do quite a lot of these interviews and they're often more difficult than this because, um, you know, obviously I know you, mm. but it's it's hard. You know, a lot of times the first question is, what's the book about? And I always feel a bit like, oh, how do I answer that? Because yeah. the the short answer is, you know, oh, it's about my granddad. Well, okay, good for you. Or it's about a boxer you've never heard of. Oh, great, <laughs> that sounds entertaining. But like, I don't know. I mean, as you know, having read it, I, I'd like to think it's about a lot more than that and that there are a lot of touchstones that yeah. people will identify with. I don't think you need to be like a boxing person to to take anything from it. I hope not, because I'm not really a boxing person. No, so I'm not really a boxing person either. I, you know, it's it's... I think you say in the the book, and I um, connect with this very deeply, that you spend you know most of your life, or have spent most of your of your life, actively avoiding being punched in the face. I think that's yeah. that's a good rule to live by um, for most people. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, boxing is, but but there is something compelling about it uh, because mm. it's you know obviously it's very visceral and all those things. But I think. F- what really struck a chord with me about it is that it's kind of a, it's the quintessential comeback story, you know, in all these great boxing movies and even in real life, the comeback feels like such an integral part of it. Mm. And I think the place that I was in when I was having these experiences and, and sort of thinking about this book, I needed that. Yeah. I needed that belief in the idea of a comeback. Um, and, you know, I guess I'm here now. So here you are. It's down. It's done. It's in print available wherever you get books, your local independent Mm -hmm. bookstore, of course, all the big online retailers as an audio book as well. We have a couple to give away. Do we? 
Yeah, for sure. We can do signed ones, definitely. Signed ones. Okay, we're not going to ask a question. If you'd like to win one of the signed copies by James, just send an email to competition at arsblog.com, competition at arsblog.com, and we'll pick out a winner. We'll give it a... We'll give it a um, We'll give the winners on the Arsecast Extra on when, whenever we do the Arsecast Extra. That's to be decided. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We need to talk about that. Yeah, afterwards. we do. We do. I can ask a favour, actually. Of course. If, if anyone does buy the book and if they enjoy it, uh, if there's any way you could leave a review, as we asked on the podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. you bought it, apparently that's incredibly helpful. Um, so I'd really appreciate it. Yeah, good reads and things like that. If you want to give yeah, it a review on there, it really does help. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, look, congratulations again. It's great. Um, the six months of work you did on it really paid off. <laughs> yeah. The, the six months of procrastination and then the six months of absolute panic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a thinking. foolproof formula. Exactly. <laughs> a surefire hit for anybody else out there looking to write a book. Okay, well, look, we'll leave it there. Um, the Champ and the Chump is available wherever you get books. Go get it. It's great. You'll love it. If you love the podcast and if you like listening to James, you will absolutely love the book too. Um, James, thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks so much. Bye-bye, I guess. I <laughs> forgot to say it. That's okay. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It only remains for me to say thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed that. I know there wasn't a great deal of Arsenal chat in it, but I hope you enjoyed the conversation nonetheless. Do get the book. I think you will really love it. Um, I know it's sort of ended on a fairly serious note, but there's loads and loads of really great funny bits in it as well, as you would expect from James. So uh, go go look for it if you want to enter the competition. It's competition at arsblog.com and you could uh, win one of those signed copies. Elsewhere, there's a brand new Arsenal women arse cast out this week we've got loads more to come during the week preview podcast on patreon season previews on arseblog.com we'll have an arse cast on friday previewing the season it's all happening it's getting real busy so uh, stick with us loads still to come uh, so until then take it easy folks cheers bye-bye Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
and United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.